chapter 9. And we'll be reading once again from, I think we'll start at verse 20. Let me get there. Daniel chapter 9, and we will, Lord willing, finish chapter 9 today. Some of you have wondered why it's taken so long for us to get through this, but it's been a magnificent study in the book of Daniel. We find it to be literally the basis point or the foundation of prophecy in Daniel, a man of God, one that was truly amazing in many, many ways. Daniel chapter 9, we'll begin at verse 20 and read through the end of the chapter, verse 27. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill, And understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And may God add a special blessing to reading this word. And once again, let's just bow for prayer as we begin our study. Father, once again now, we thank you for all that we've, we've had the opportunity to share with you today. And now, these moments that are before us, as you teach us and show us and shape us and allow us to see you clearer than we've seen you before, Father, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively and wholly be our teacher today. We thank you that the word of God will be used, and literally, Father, that it will go to the innermost parts of our being, for the word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, thank you that we can count on the word doing its work. And now, may there be clarity, may there be uh, complete understanding, Father, for the passage that you're allowing us to be engaged in today. Once again, we thank you, even amidst our weaknesses the things that make us so human that in our weaknesses then we are made strong because of you. And now, Father, we rest in you as you've touched Daniel on that day through Gabriel, giving him communication that literally is still intact today. And now, go with us, help us, guide us through the Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Daniel chapter 9 is a 
We've, I think we've been here about three weeks so far, and Daniel was in a, an intense, uh, powerful prayer, I guess I would say. We spent the first week, uh, the first time together uh, three weeks ago, visiting about um, intercessory prayer and some characteristics that we could find from Daniel's life in regards to that. He certainly would be a model for us to be engaged in the sense of prayer. And he, there's three person, personages, if you will, that are involved in this chapter 9. One is the fact that Daniel himself, there he is. He's, he's everything, I guess, the characteristics or the, um, the, just the situation that Daniel finds himself in. And, and let's talk about that for a moment, just reviewing for a moment again. That why is Daniel in the Word of God? Why is he praying? Well, that's interesting. Again, as he's in the Word of God, that's what drove him to pray. And that's really a good place for us to be. When we're in the Word of God, that literally should push us. And I, I, we use that word carefully. It should draw us. There we go. That's a better word. Draw us into praying to the God that wrote the Word. The Spirit will draw us into that. And what was going on here is that Daniel knew... After reading Jeremiah chapter 25, which would have been uh, in the Old Testament to us, and it was reading that he had. He must have been as in the hurry, if you think about this, uh, stepping all the way back as a young man, 14 or 15 years of age. How would Let's go back. When, you guys remember back in your 14 or 15? Um, it's been a little time ago for some of us, more for others. But at any, at any rate, the point of the matter is, is with 14 or 15, it was amazing how smart we were, and there were so many things that we were that we were really impressed upon with our lives. But think of this, someone in this group of young men that were taken hostage. So let's just take another step back. For literally 100 years, even beyond what Israel had been taken captive by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom, Judah, of which Daniel would have been part of that, he would have been living in that part of the kingdom, the southern part. And they had warned repeatedly, Jeremiah being one of those, that you're going to be taken captive if you don't stop disobeying God. And last week we talked about where do you want to be? Where's God's blessings? In the circle of obedience. When we obey, that's where God's blessing. How do you get there? By confessing our sin. It's, some, it's amazing how simple some things are, and yet it's so hard for us to participate. Have you noticed that? Sometimes it's so easy to understand, but it's so hard to do. Okay? And, and apparently, the folks from Judah found it very difficult to go back to God. America's having trouble going back to God. Okay. At any rate, though, but it's amazing. The message is always the same. God is full of grace and forgiveness. And when you reach out to him, when you repent and you confess, he's right there. Well, they failed to do that. And so, consequently, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, being the first world ruler, that kingdom of Babylon, he literally took hostages. And to keep that king, Jehoiakim, honest, if you will, he took a lot of young men from the I'm going to say the king's family, the royal family, and took them to Babylon, and he's going to retrain them. Now, at 14 or 15, that's they. I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar felt a great time to get these guys learned in the Chaldean language, in the philosophies, and all of the the historical aspects of what made Babylon Babylon. And yet, we know from Daniel, chapter one, verse eight, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself before God. At 14 or 15, I'm like, whoa, at 14 or 15, I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> but I was easily misled probably, right? And this, this, this young boy must have, and we went through some of that actually, how he would have been, he was 
trained up in a time there was a great revival back in that land. And there was some sense of residual, you say, or some even subliminal things that would have come with. But the other thing I want to point out for this exercise where we're at today is someone, uh, I, I maybe mentioned it this way. What if, what, if, what if your house is on fire? That's a bad thing, isn't it? I, I, I could see some shock in your faces. I, I don't, this is not real. This is just imaginary for a moment. What is it that you would take? You're given five minutes. What would you take? I have a feeling that, Bab, that, that you, when, when they took these young men as hostage, there wasn't a lot of time to plan to figure out what you were going to put in your suitcase. And I really think how well thought ahead they did. Now, again, this, this is about, this is the other thing that's magnificent. This scroll, this books, as it's described here, which would literally have been a scroll of Jeremiah, would have been brought along about 68 or 69 years ago. Because this is this much longer after Daniel hit Babylon, which is now we're on the second major kingdom of which Daniel... Think of the last time you saw an administration change where there's a man, that's, or man or woman for that matter, that's done really well and they're really high up. He's number three in the kingdom. And then they're conquered. That usually doesn't happen that the number three guy just moves right on over into the new empire. Two things stick out to me. There is a God. <laughs> He's in control. And also the character of that man, Daniel, and his integrity must have been amazing. Amazing. If there's someone for you to strive, at least physically, uh, study Daniel. He's a wonderful man to study, even as a teenager. But here we go, 68 or 69 years after he would have been captured, literally taken hostage, he's, you know, sometimes you, I read that somewhere. And he digs into Jeremiah chapter 25 and, verse, and probably chapter 29, and it unfolds for him that for 70 years they will be captive in Babylon. And then... They will return. Oh, he couldn't. It, just reading that drove him right to God, and he had, he had one request. Have you ever had requests like this? Now, this, this was a little bit intimidating, a little bit more guilt-ridden for us that sometimes go to prayer is saying, God, I need you to do this for me. Right? A lot of times it's a little bit more me-oriented. It's a little bit of me-itis, and it happens pretty early in the prayer and can continue for a fair bit of time of the prayer. Have you noticed that in your prayers? You don't need to agree, but I can see it in your eyes that it happens once in a very great while. For myself, it's more than I'd like to admit, but nonetheless, Daniel, literally after reading the Word of God, sees that God is going to, for 70 years... Now, why was it 70 years? Remember, we talked about that last week. Why was there 70 years? That he names the, 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 the number of years that they're going to be held captive. Why is it 70? Because if you go back into, even in another scripture, you will find that they had, for, they had forsaken keeping the year of the Sabbath. So, in other words, if you go, if you start at year one and you go through six years and you till the ground, God provides for you, this is the land of Israel. I'm talking about Israel. This was not given to anyone. This is the land of Israel. And then in the seventh year, you literally would have a Sabbath year, a year of rest. Well, they thought, we kind of think this way too. In case, I just want to, maybe not us in this room, maybe not us. Because we're so doing it the right way all the time, right? But there's others that would say, hey, if six years provided, why would we want to take a seventh year off? Let's work it again. It's pretty easy to get in that mindset, isn't it? And guess what? They did that for 490 years. So God said, for every one of those Sabbath years, 70 of them, you know, seven, 490 divided by seven, 
uh, you're going to go in captivity. You're going to learn a lesson. <laughs> and this is so cool because Daniel, as he's, he has one request, he says after 70 years, they're going to be released and go back to Israel. And he says to God, do it. <laughs> That's literally the whole focus of this prayer that he's fasting, he's praying, he's giving supplications. He's totally focused on this prayer. And he said, God, do what you said you were going to do. That's why sometimes when I read Revelation, I get to the end of chapter 22, I just do that. <laughs> do that. <laughs> right? I'm really into the rapture right now. Um, I'm, I'm like, do it now. <laughs> I'm okay with that now. <laughs> could, like now? <laughs> right? Wouldn't it be good? Like right now, we just, whew, we're gone. And that's literally, by the way, that's the next event on the calendar. There's nothing remaining for that to happen. Now, as we get into this prophecy, it's amazing as they're talking about God has, is, is going to lay something on Daniel. This prophecy we just read. It's seven verses and it's the most complete, the most outrageous prophecy in all of the Old Testament. Everything else is hinged on it. He says, just like there's 490 years, of which 70 because you've forsaken the Sabbath law, the Sabbath year law, there's also another period of time that I'm going to tell you about that is also 77s or 490 years. And again, think with me carefully. What is in Daniel's mind praying about, is it 70 days? No. 70 weeks? No. He's just read in Jeremiah chapter 25, it's 70 years. That's why when when the prophecy, this communication from God comes across and says 70, it says in, in the King James, and maybe in your Bible it says 70 weeks, it literally is 70 sevens. But there's no question in Daniel's mind, he's been talking about years. So there's 70 seven-year periods, which matches perfectly with the reason that the Israelites have been in captivity in Babylon. It, I, I think that's just really cool. I don't know why I think that's really cool, but it seems really cool to me that God says, not only is there 77s that you guys are just getting through, I've got 77s for you in the future that's going to give you the entire Jewish lineage finality. And that's what makes this chapter... Now, we, now the part that's sometimes hard is, so far, 69 weeks in our timeline have happened. There's one remaining. And there's been a big gap, a big gap, actually, of which you guys, the church, those that have trusted Jesus Christ, have come into that gap. And we say, why? That isn't even mentioned. It is, but it's very distinct in how it's mentioned because this is a Jewish prophecy. This is not regarding Gentiles. In fact, if you look at the language in which Daniel was written, beginning at the last verse of chapter 7 of Daniel to the end of the book, guess what? That's all about Jews, and it's written in Hebrew. Previously, the previous chapters were written Aramaic. You see, even the language in which it was written, it even gives us hints of who this is to. Okay, now let's, I'm not sure how we're going to, you know, have, have you ever heard your mind, you've got so many things coming in, you don't know which one to go. You say, Larry, that happens to you a lot. Yeah, I'm afraid that's true. But one of the things that we want to be careful of today is there's a thought process that literally the Jews have been set aside. God is not interested in the Jews anymore. They messed up. They screwed up. They really just tuned God out, and God said, that's it. That's done. We're, we're going to drop kick you. We're done. We don't want any more of you. Is that true? I've heard a lot of different things. I've actually heard that America is the New Jerusalem. I've heard the lost ten tribes, which were actually the northern kingdom, but in the first chapter of Daniel, it actually talks about 
that all of those tribes were represented in the southern kingdom because they moved as that as that persecution would have come, and I'm sure that God allowed that to be part of it. Yeah, those ten tribes never returned in their sense of entirety, but they would say those ten tribes are, and those are part of the chosen people. There's a whole lot of things that go on in regards to who are the Jews today. Well, I'm going to say the Jews of yesterday in the Old Testament are the same Jews that God has his namesake on. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. I think these are things that you can use potentially as you think about this. As there's a, I'm amazed today how many different things there are spoken about in who the Jews are today. Okay? I want to know what God, who God says the Jews are. And I'm here to say that chapter 9 of Daniel is who literally the Jews are. Let's go to 1 Samuel for a moment. Hold your place in Daniel. We'll be back. Famous last words. 1 Samuel chapter 12. And verse 22. 1 Samuel 12 and verse 22. Now we're, we're diving into a chapter. I understand that you'll have to, you can get your own context and, at your leisure. But I, I'm just diving into verse 22. Watch it carefully. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Did you see that? God's name is on the line. If he said, I'm going to bless the Jews, I'm going to make them my people, his name is on the line. <laughs> That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Let's go to Psalm chapter 89. Psalm chapter 89. And we'll read some verses out of this as well. Psalm 89 in verses 31 through 37. Uh, verses 31 of Psalm chapter 89. If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments. Stop. That sounds like a lot of people, right? Jews included. They, they did not do what God asked them to do. Then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Every time I see the rod or I, think I see belt, I think that way, I'm thinking, my dad. I don't know why, but he was able to get the good out of me or put the good in me. I don't know what it was, but it worked. Okay, it really worked. And it was amazing how sometimes just the eye... Did you get the eye from your dad? It was amazingly strong, wasn't it? He, and especially, now it was later in his, actually, I guess later in his life, I was better. I was, I was getting, getting around to it. But I don't think, I don't know how long he had glasses, but when he pulled those glasses down and he gave you the eye, you straightened right up. And you know, in, in scripture, it actually talks about God leading us with his eye. There's almost some sense of tenderness or intimacy that you know. I knew my dad's eye. I also knew some other things about him, right? But the point of the matter is, is this is for their good. This is, let's keep reading before I get too far off this trail. The Proverbs say the king scatters away all the evil with his eyes. Yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, exactly. Verse 33, nevertheless, now see, in other words, so you've got, you've got, a, you've got, you've got a child, you've got some, somebody that's done the wrong thing. God has stepped in and he's disciplined. Now watch, verse 33, nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor, fa or, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness I, that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as faithful witness in heaven, Selah. And Selah means, so be it. That's pretty strong language. 
You see, that was the one thing when my dad got, when, and, and I don't, he wasn't punishing me all the time. I don't want to make it look like I was really a rotten kid. Now you're laughing. Why are you laughing? Uh, at any rate, let's, let's move right on through that. But you know what? The one thing he never said was, I've stopped being your father. Do you, do, do you see that? That's exactly what makes a father a father. Is they're interested in loving you through chastening or through discipline so that they can bring everything that, they, uh, that you need to be because of who he is. That's exactly what God has done and is doing with Israel. Now, they're in, they're, they're, they're in the penalty box right now. I don't know how else to say that. And that's a, that's a hockey term. But if you, really play, if you really mess up on the ice and you play um, badly, you, what's the right word? You're, you're bad, right? Where do you go? The penalty box. They've been in the penalty box for quite a while. But I also want to show you another. Let's go to uh, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And I, there's, there's a, it's, it's a huge, almost like a triple negative, if you will, in how Paul is asking the question and he responds so, I would just say vehemently, that God would never allow this to happen. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people, the Jews? God forbid. And that is the strongest language. No, no, may it never be. That's how really it's, it's said there. So all of this, what's this to say? God has not set aside his Jews. Now, there are, though, and again, now the other thing I want to say, you can say, well... There's some people that live in Israel or maybe part of the Jewish, uh, what should I say, family, or that they're pretty ruthless. They may even come from some other off countries. Kasarians is another. You'll find some Kasarian Jews. That's a whole other study you can look for yourself. But that's not our responsibility. I'm just going to tell you something. God talks an awful lot about Jerusalem, and that's the Jews' home. And if you've noticed, even Daniel talks about Jerusalem. That little place, which is less than the size of New Jersey, is a focal point to all activity on planet Earth because God said it is. That's good enough for me. So let's find out further of what God communicates to Daniel. These 77s, let's go back to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. We talked about this last week, 70 weeks or 77s. Something happens, and we're going we're gonna to cruise through verse 24 because we talked about it last week. There are six things that would take place, and we talked about them last week. But let's look at verse 25, and it says this. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. That's the first time that word Messiah is used in the Old Testament. The Messiah, the anointed one, the coming one, the one that would be chosen to literally conquer sin. That one, that prince, capital P, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, or a combined of 69 weeks, or 483 years. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Now, you know, that it's, it just doesn't flow quite as nicely, shall we say, so that you can get a grasp on all of that. Okay? But... It's very clear. So there's something that's going to happen that sets the beginning stage of this. Where does this 483 years start? It starts with a decree. 
Now, I'm not going to. There's actually four of them we find in Scripture. You'll find three of them in Ezra. But the one I want to look at, just to just take you right to it, is the one we find in Nehemiah. Now, the ones in Ezra talk about going back and rebuilding the temple. Okay. Now, clearly, understand, what did it say? Let's read it one more time, just for clarity, because if you want to go back and look yourself, you can find it. It says, Know, therefore, verse 25, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Okay? So this has to do with rebuilding Jerusalem and the wall. All right? So where we're going to find that is we're going to find that in Nehemiah. So hold your place in Daniel. Find the little book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer. He was kind of a cool guy. Nehemiah. And my Bible is not working for me today. Here we go. Ezra, Nehemiah. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 1. It came to pass in the month Nisan. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king. Now, if you're, if you're a history buff, you would know that Artaxerxes began reigning in what year? Oh, we don't have any history buffs in here. That's okay, though, because I'm going to tell you anyway. It was actually in, uh, if I take that out, let's see if I can get this one to work. It was 465 B.C. I'm going to have to do, watch, watch this. This is going to be, I was using this for a bookmark, and I'm just going to treat I lost where I was at. That's fantastic. Okay, anyway, 465 B.C. That was the year that Artaxerxes began uh, reigning in, the new, in, in this Medes and Persian kingdom. Okay? Now, where were we at? I forgot to tell you this. We had it on the board from last week. It's right there, but you can't see it. What year was Daniel having this prophecy? Do you remember? Approximately. I'm okay with that. Can you see this number right there? It's actually 8, but good job. Good job. 538 B.C. That was when Daniel had the dream in chapter 9. Okay? Now, the 70 years were actually coming to a completion. I think he was only one or two years away from that actually happening. But this commandment that would start the next 490 years has a beginning point somewhere during this man, this Artaxerxes reign, which it started in 465. Now, I just read to you in Nehemiah chapter 2 that it's his, which year? 20th. So if we take 20, again, this is B.C., so 20, we are at 445 B.C. And, and again, could be a year, it could be 444, 445, there's, there's some dis, dis, dissension upon that with, with scholars. More intelligent and more gifted than I am by, by a far shot. But let's go back to Nehemiah now, which I've lost my place. You're still there. I'll quickly try to catch up. He came to pass in the month Nisan, that was the first, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that Wine was before him, and I took up the wine. This is Nehemiah saying this. He's the I, and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been in before time sad in his presence. Now, I want to make that. That's a, that's a really cool thing. Let's say that you're the cupbearer for a king, like the king, not just a king, Artaxerxes. He's the grand poopah. He is the one in charge. If you would come into the presence of the king, and you weren't, like, happy, Really happy? <laughs> and do you see what he's going to be doing right, real quick? Why is he sad, by the way? Because if you read chapter 1, which that's your homework, read chapter 1 of Nehemiah, you'll see how Nehemiah is brought into this whole entourage of things. There was somebody that came back from Israel and said, 
Nehemiah, you won't believe how bad it is back home. You won't believe it. It's terrible. It would be like somebody coming back from North Dakota and say, Larry, you won't believe how bad North Dakota. And I would say, yes, I can. <laughs> That's terrible to say, isn't it? That's terrible to say. At any rate, I love Montana so much more. I'm in deep trouble because this is on tape, isn't it? I love, Ma- I love North Dakota too, right? But not as much. At any rate, Israel, and that would have been homeland to Nehemiah. See, he had been given a place of position with a new empire, the Medes and Persians, Artaxerxes. Now, that would be obviously about 100 years later. Getting close to 100 years later. Watch verse 2. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of the heart. Then I was sore afraid. You better believe you're afraid, buddy. This is the first time and probably the only time that you lived being sad in front of the emperor. And you say, what's the big deal about that? I don't know. They just don't want sad people around them. That's all I got to say about it, right? Let's keep going. Verse 4. Verse 3, I'm sorry. I said, and said unto the king, let the king live forever. That's a good place to start. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste? The gates are ever consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Remember, we talked a few, few, few weeks ago about bullet prayers? Here he is. He's engaged in conversation with the king, and he, and he, he just shoots out one of those bullet prayers. You ever been in one of those? Um, I remember one time, I just came to me, I don't know why, but my dad, were, we were traveling from Livingston to, to Billings, and we're driving. I had a Chevy Citation. Those were awesome. <laughs> a little sarcasm rolled in there, but that's okay. And, and we're going on, and just between uh, Big Timber and Great Cliff, there was uh, slush, my favorite thing not to drive in. And I'm driving, and I thought driving prudently. That's a good word, isn't it? And all of a sudden, it just, and it was, it was before there was full interstate there. It was a two-lane through that. Do you guys remember that? Back far? Aha, there are some older people here. You don't remember. Okay, but it sounded good. Don't remember if you want to stay young. At any rate, so there's this two-lane stretch, and all of a sudden just sucked me in, and we're going crosswise across the road, and I can't do anything, right? Have you ever been in that? You can't do anything. Anything you do is not working. In fact, stop doing whatever it is you're doing because it's not helping. That's where I'm at. And my dad said this. He was riding along, and he said this. God help us. That's a bullet prayer. That's a bullet prayer. Isn't it? He, you know, we're engaged in other... We were actually talking about stuff. And boom, there we are. And God help us. See, that's a bullet prayer. This is exactly what Nehemiah said. Oh, and you want to know what happened to this, don't you? You want, you want to know the end of the story? I'll tell you next week. No, I'm not that bad. I'm sliding sideways. And you know what happened? We hit the edge of the road. And that's firm. <laughs> There's no more slush here. Quink! And we're right up on top. And we're just sitting there. Fantastic. I don't remember much else, but other, just, just, I remember the helpless feeling. There, there's just nothing to do. It just grabbed us and just... Boop. <laughs> okay. My point was the bullet prayer. Forget about the car, okay? <laughs> Nehemiah offered a bullet prayer. So I said unto the king, verse 5, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah... Under the city of my father's sepulchres that I may build it. I want to go back to Israel to build it. The king said unto me, and the queen also sitting by him, How long shall thy journey be? When will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. See, he'd done his homework from chapter 1. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it pleased the king, let, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. Ah, Judah, right? 
That's where Daniel was at. A letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. The king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And if you go on and see this, this is literally the commandment, the decree of Artaxerxes that began. This is the first time there was a decree to go back to build a wall and the city. That started the beginning of the 70 weeks of years. Okay. That time frame right there. Now, what did it say was going to happen? Now, it says it's seven weeks, seven times seven, 49 years. And then there's 62 times 7. Did you see it? It didn't place them all together. Well, what happened in that 49 years, which would make, what would that make it? Like 396 B.C., if we were going to take 49 off. In that time frame, literally, all of that happened. The city was completed. The wall was completed. In fact, if you want to read a fascinating story about organization, you read Nehemiah. Oh, my goodness. Here's one guy, gets fired up by God, and he goes back, and he's got these... People that are there and have no sense of being excited about or encouraged about God's work. And he takes that entourage and they build that wall in, is it 52 days? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And here's the other. Did you see? Did, watch this for just a second. Hold your spot. Well, actually, we can go back. Let's go back to Daniel, if you've got it marked. And look at this, what it says about this. It says, the street shall be built again, or the city and the wall even, this is verse 25, even in troublous times. Now, if you read Nehemiah, which is, you should read that this week. You guys like my homework that I give to you? Because anyway, pay attention to that. That's good. Nehemiah would be a great read. So anyway, as these rebuilding this wall, which was a very short time. Now, that didn't complete the city, obviously. But you have to get a wall to protect the city to be able to complete the city, right? That makes good sense. And while they were building the wall, you know, the enemy, Tobiah and Sanballat, those are two nasty guys. They continually tried to onslaught with them with war and all kinds of different things. And you know what? Those guys had their weapons right by them. It was troublous times. They took the battle on as they were building. That fits perfectly what happened to Nehemiah. And that was 100 years in the future for Daniel. Nailed it. Okay, so that's the beginning of our, four, our, our 69 weeks, if you will. Now, let's keep going. It says from the beginning, that commandment to restore and to build at Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. That's capital P. Why would it say that? It will be 69 weeks. And it starts about what it says. And then in verse 26, it says after, after three scores. So this is after the 69 weeks. We have the seven of which the wall was completed. In fact, there's another really key component which nobody ever thinks about. There was actually a completion of the canon of the Old Testament, at least initially in right at the end of that first seven weeks or 49 years. And you know what God didn't do in the last 400 B.C. to tell Jesus Christ appeared on the earth? There was no more revelation. There was no more anything. Isn't that, I find that really, really interesting that the Old Testament canon was literally complete. And he didn't have to say anything. Now, they were expecting more because the Messiah hadn't shown up. But, and even Daniel's prophecy here is amazing because, again, I have to say this. That which was given in 538 B.C., it has not been completed yet. We're in it. We're in the gap. 69 weeks. It says Messiah the Prince. What does that mean? When would have been a, 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 a situation of which the Messiah, Jesus Christ, 
would have been placed before the public in a set-aside awareness showpiece that shows him as the Messiah. And they say the prince, capital P. We're going to have two princes in this. Small P, big P. What would that opportunity have been? Well, one of them we could talk about would be his baptism. He arrives. John the Baptist, he sees him from a distance off, right? He sees John had never saw him before. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. That's fantastic. Would that be it? No, it wouldn't have been as a prince, would have been. That was really the onset of his ministry. That was where God said, it is my beloved son. Okay? But that's not where he was declared a prince. Where would have he been declared a prince? The triumphal entry. What we call Palm Sunday. That day, literally, that he wrote... Remember, he had the disciples go get a, uh, uh, a donkey, right? That would not be my first choice. But it was, it, were, it was what Jesus wanted, and they got one. And he rides in in the downtown Jerusalem, and, they're li- and it was amazing. It was amazing, because literally nobody even really knew about him. In one, in, I'm talking the, main, the, the common folk. And on this day, they were laying down these branches and saying, Hosanna to the king of the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna. What are they saying? They're accepting that Messiah as prince. That was that day. And if you work it out, I'm not, I'm not mathematician enough because you have to take in the, the Jewish calendar year is 360 days. We could go to Genesis chapter, jot that down in your notes. Genesis 7, 11, it talks about the Noah's flood. It talks about the months, five months, that it was, that's 30 days each. It's a 30-day month. In, in history, you go back to Revelation, the very end, it's a 30-day month. But if you take 483 years times 365, you'll come up with, I think, 173,880 days. And if you take 173,880 days from that day that that command was, was issued by Artaxerxes, it comes out to exactly the day that Jesus Christ rose in as Messiah, the prince, on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem about five days before they crucified him. They missed it all. I want you to see something here. This, is, this, this makes it, I think, makes it more fluorescent or more overpowering. As let's go to Luke for a moment now. Uh, I'm, again, suggesting stay in Daniel, but let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 19. Jesus is talking about... This thing without, for us, now we can see it once we're unfolding it, but let's look at this. This would be uh, Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry is what I like to call it. Uh, Luke chapter 19, we'll begin reading at verse 28. Verse 28. When he had thus spoken, he went up, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. Speaking of Jesus, it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. Now, now, Bethany would probably be about five miles outside of Jerusalem, not very far away. He sends two of them ahead and said, Go into the village over against you, in which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. Now, that would be the other way I wouldn't go about that. I would want something that was well broke. But Jesus was a, was a donkey whisperer, too. Because he'd never been on this thing, right? And... <laughs> Anyway, I'm getting out there now. Anyway, but it said it was never written. And if, if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said, 
Why, why, why are you loosening that cord? The owners, did you notice that? That's really a key component. In other words, here's somebody, you got your horse tied to the, to the fence, and all of a sudden, somebody you do not know walks over and takes him. Whoa, whoa, stop, stop. What, what are you doing? Okay, now, let's watch this. Jesus told him what to say. Let's see if that works. In fact, are they a little nervous? Would you be nervous if you're stealing somebody's horses? Or horse or donkey? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. <laughs> and they brought him to Jesus. Just like that. No problem. Jesus needs him. They cast their garments upon the colt and set Jesus there on verse 36. As he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole... Oh, where is Jesus coming the second time? If you go... The Mount of Olives. He's literally going to land on the Mount of, at his second coming. Not rapture. Rapture, we meet him in the air. And that's what I'm saying. Lord Jesus, let her rip. I'm ready. Right? The second coming, which is later, the end of the tribulation, which is the last seven. Keep that in mind. We've got one seven, one week left. One seven year period, which is the tribulation. At the very end of that, literally Jesus will come again, landing on the Mount of Olives. Just a side note. Let's keep going. The whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now, see, the disciples think this is the unveiling of the king. This is what we spent three years of our life to get is Jesus the king. Now, again, from an Old Testament standpoint, even Daniel. Did you see what happened at the end of the the 70th week? The end of sin. The reigning of eternal righteousness. See, they didn't see the gap. The disciples, you have to be fair to them. They didn't know about us, the church. There's a few snippets there, but do you see that? That's really important. They think this is the deal. Verse 38, saying, Blessed be the king, did you see it? The king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, uh, Master, rebuke thy disciples. In other words, don't, don't, you shouldn't be saying he's the, you're not the king. Watch this, verse 40. He answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the rocks, I'm sorry, I used rocks, the stones would immediately cry out. Think of that. If the disciples hadn't, the stones would have said, Hosanna to the king. Because why? Because it's the day. See, that's the day of the 483rd week. Year. I'm sorry. 480. Isn't that cool? Nothing could have stopped that. Nothing could have stopped that. Okay, because God decreed it. Where did I lose you? Where did I leave you? Uh, oh, watch, 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 watch. Here we go. Here we go. He answered and said, I tell you, if these should hold their peace, the stones should immediately cry out. Now, watch what he does in verse 41. When he was come near, he beheld. He's looking over the city and wept over. Why did he weep? Why would he cry over the city? Because they missed him. They were about to miss him. Let's keep going. Verse 42. Saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this, this, thy day. This is the day that the prince, the Messiah, shows up. The things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee around, and keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Urch! The end of the 69th week. 
Do you see it? They missed him. They're still missing him. Let's keep going. Now let's go back to Daniel. Let's see how this works. Because you know, if you, if you would follow through in Luke, you'd find that literally four or five days later, they would have crucified this one. Now keep that in mind. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 9 and let's look at verse 26. And watch the key word in this one of after. Where was the end of, of uh, actually this would be, this would be tricky, but it's either 32, oops, wrong one, 32 or 33 A.D. Okay, somewhere right in there. This is the end of the 69th week. Now watch this in verse 26. He has appeared at the, at the, uh, the triumphal entry. He's the prince. He's been shown as the prince. It says after three score and two weeks, after those 62 weeks, plus the seven of which the temple, or the, the Jerusalem was completed, it says this. Shall Messiah be cut off? You know what that word it means? When you go back into several other instances in the Old Testament, it means literally to be put to death. To be put to death. Now, after the 69 weeks. What did history do for us? Literally just five days later, he was hanging on a cross. The Messiah. The Messiah. He was put to death. Let's keep going. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back and let's let's read it in its entire. Let's hold the context now. Okay. Let's go back to. Um, boom, 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 boom. Let's go back to verse twenty-five. Okay. Now, verse twenty-four starts out as seventy weeks total. Now, verse twenty-five it says, "Know therefore and understand that from the going forth." Of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, that we found in Nehemiah chapter 2, unto that time frame now between the building of Jerusalem and Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So it's seven plus 62. Now, the part that the Messiah would have been found in is which? Not the seven, but the 62. You follow what I'm saying? The seven was completed when the so he's, he's literally alluding... Let's, let's just read it in his context. Hopefully it'll flow for you. Okay, here we go. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and, or an additional, 62 weeks. It says three score and two weeks in King James. The street shall be built again in the wall even in troublous times. So if you add seven and 62, 69. And then it says, after this 62 weeks... Now it's talking about that time frame after the seven. You see what I'm saying? Those tie together. Or is it still confusing for you? Does it make sense to you? Okay. That's a problem because I don't know how to fix that. You have the 62 and the 7 together. Okay. Where less is having issues is the fact that it just says the 62. Okay. But in, chat, in verse 25, it talks about the seven, which has to do with the building of Jerusalem and the wall. When that seven or 49 years is completed, then it begins another 62 weeks, of which the Messiah is represented by. Does that help you? No. Okay. All right. We're going to pray. No, go Yes. Yeah. 
So if, 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 you, if you take that one verse by itself, right. then it messes you up. But that's why it's, see, and what makes it work for me, and I, I apologize, I'm not making it any clear, because we, we really do want to make it clear. In, the first, in verse 25, it talks about seven weeks and 62. And then after the 62-week part of it, how am I doing? Is it getting better? But good. I like it when it's come together. After, after the 62 part of the 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. Okay? So 69 weeks have taken place. And then after that, the Messiah will be cut off. And it says, but not for himself. In other words, you know what he received out of the whole thing? Here's, here's the Messiah, which come to the earth to save everyone. In fact, John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Would that not be depressing? Why did he weep when he looked over the city? He sees everything that they... In fact, in Matthew, it talks about, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would that you would have gathered as a mother hen, gathered her chicks underneath of her, and you would not. And now you will be desolate. It, it's the same concept of literally being set aside. From that day forward, they were set aside. Jer, the, the Jews. For a time. Not forever, but for a time. Now watch. Turn the Oh, you don't have to turn your page. For me, verse 26, I turned the page, but not for himself. And, watch now. And, this is after the 69 weeks. This is where we start to see this gap. The people of the prince, small p, that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the word desolations are determined. Now, be very careful here. The second prince, which is small p, is regards to the Antichrist. But it doesn't say him. What does it say? The people of the prince to come. So who are the people of the prince to come? The Romans. Because if you take the, 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 the visions that Daniel has had thus far, let's, let's talk about the world kingdoms. Number one was Babylon. That's the one in which Daniel was removed from Judah to Babylon. And then about 70 years later, the Medo Purge, the Medes and Persians. That was the that was another picture that he would. I, I can't get bogged down here. And then after that came Mr. Speedy, Alexander the Great. That dude, unbelievable, lightning speed, like a leopard. Okay, after he was actually conquered the whole world war at age 33, in a drunken fit, died. And then Rome. And Rome, now this is interesting. Every one of those other ones were conquered. Rome never was conquered by another empire. It literally just fell apart. It fell apart. Now, in a previous vision of Daniel's, it talked about a revived Roman empire of where there would be ten kings. Now, it would seem obvious, I don't know that I'm right, but it would seem to fit the area of which Rome was really placed in today would be the European Union. The EU, okay? Now, presently today, and you're saying, well, how many nations are there? Or how many kings? Yeah, I'm going to say, how many nations? There's about 27 or 28. You say, well, that doesn't work. That doesn't mean anything. Actually, England just left. Okay? So, what, but the point of the matter is, is there's going to be 10 prominent kings, 10 prominent leaders at the very end, of which this Antichrist will come out of. And those people of the prince, that's what he's saying. The people of the Romans will literally decimate the city and the temple. And guess when that happened? 70 AD. That probably would be as disastrous and diabolical and over the top of human wretchedness 
I, I can't even describe some of the things that took place in Jerusalem during that time frame. Titus, who became, after Nero, committed suicide. He became insane and committed suicide, which nobody really was lost by that. And then there was four quick leaders, and then there, there was a man by the name of Titus that came on board. And his son was given charge to take care of Jerusalem because they were getting rebellious. And he went in with 100,000 troops. There was about 200,000 people living in Jerusalem at the time. He literally destroyed it from stem to stern. They say that there was as many as 500 crucifixions per day. There was a forest that really laid outside of, of the outskirts of Jerusalem at that time. They totally denuded it from building weapons of war and crosses. I, I, did, you, did you get that? And I could go on. It, it's, it's the most unbelievably over-the-top in the sense of human suffering that I really ever know of, that I've ever read about. It's horrifying. And that was done in 70 AD. Do you see that? That was what? Do you remember how it was stated? After, the, in your case, the 62 weeks, and the seven would have been attached to that. So after the 69 weeks, the people of the prince completely destroyed the temple. That they did. Where's their temple today? I'm getting ahead of myself for a minute. In fact, I don't, before you say that, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 27. Now, something changes very quickly. This, this is part of coming back to the seventh, the last week. Watch verse 27. And he, who's he? Small h. Who's he? The Antichrist. The small, the prince. See, he talked about the people of the prince to come. Now, verse 27, he says, and he, the prince, small p. This is the Antichrist. This is the one that has not shown himself yet. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the last week. That's the 70th week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. Stop for a moment. Sacrifice and oblation, what is that about? Do you remember in Daniel chapter 9 earlier, it talked about during the evening oblation? That would have been something that he would have remembered. He would have remembered back from Judah when they had the temple there. And there was an evening sacrifice of which there would have been a lamb potentially slain. And at that evening oblation, that offerer, the one that had sinned, the reason he had to bring the lamb and to slay it for the blood to be shed and to atone for his sin, he literally would have reached out with his hands and put it on that lamb to be associated with what would take place to rid him of his sin. That's what that word oblation would mean. Now it says this, that in the last week, that this one, this he, this Antichrist, would cease the sacrifice and oblation. When did the sacrifice and oblation cease previously? 70 AD. That's a long time ago. That's a long... There's some things going on here now. So what starts... And this is key. This is really key. So if we actually go from when Jesus Christ blew into... That's wrong. I should not say that. When, that's bad. This is me talking, right? This is me going. Uh, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and literally the stones would have cried out because that was the day God said, that is the end of the 69 weeks. The rocks would have cried out. That was the end. And now from that point, from that day forward, we have been in this gap that has been over 2,000 years where the church, and remember Jesus Christ? Remember what he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18? About Peter, he said, Oh, Peter, the rock... 
But upon this rock, it's a different word. I don't want to get into this right now. It's not Peter the church was built upon. No, 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 stop. But upon the rock that he said, thou art the Christ, the living son of God. That rock, that truth, he would build the church. That's the word. First time you find church coming right out of Jesus' mouth. And that's the time frame in which we've been, getting, which we've been in. What's the end of the church age? It's the thing I'm praying for right now. <laughs> the rapture. Whew. All of those that have trusted Christ as Savior, no warning, no announcement, we meet him in the air. And I'm saying, let's get her done. Now, the beginning of the 70th week does not start with the rapture. That does not say that. It does not say the catching away of the saints. And that's the word. You don't find the word rapture been for all of that. But the catching up, meeting Jesus in the air. He doesn't come to the ground, Mount of Olives. We meet him in the air. That's different between that and the second coming. The beginning of the last week is started by what? What does it say? The confirmation of the covenant. A peace treaty. How successful the priest treaty has been in the Mideast? Yeah, it's a laugh, isn't it? It's a joke. It's a total joke. The only thing I know about was when they sign one, that one will be broken too, right? But there's one coming... The Antichrist, and this is what makes it very special, because you've actually answered the question of the seriousness of what the Jews really want today. If you were going to go into, now again, I'm saying, there's some, there some invaders, there's some intruders that are under the guise of Jews that are really very, very evil people. Okay, I, I'm not worried about that. That's God to sort that out. It's Remember the, the, wheat, the tares and the wheat, right? What did he say? Leave them grow. At the end, you'll know them. Okay, I'm not worried about any of that. But in Jerusalem, in Israel today, which was founded in 1948, if you ask them what's the most important thing for them to get on board with, you know what they would tell you? To have our temple. We want to go back to our sacrificial system. In fact, I didn't do as much due diligence as I meant to do. They literally have assembled a great deal in the sense of building materials to erect that, but they can't do it because where they want to build it is unoccupied territory by them. Now, here's the deal. When the Antichrist comes on board and he says, I'm, I'm sure this is the way he's going to do it. I'm, I'm going to give you what else, whatever you need to build your temple. I'm on board with you here. And I'm going to make it work so that everybody gets along and you're actually literally going to feel that you're at peace with the world. If you go to Revelation, I think it's chapter 13. I'm not positive, but if you go to Revelation, there's a chapter in Revelation. How's that? I'm going to be really safe. That it talks about this coming one, this beast, this Antichrist comes with a bow, but it speaks of no arrows. Now, how effective are you at shooting the elk or the deer with a bow with no arrows? You are going to have to talk that elk down. You can't shoot him down. And you say, that's ridiculous. That's how good this Antichrist will be. He will be a diplomat wizard. He will literally have, literally, using no ammunition, be able to talk the Middle East into a perfect peace agreement of which the Jews will feel unbelievably safe. Now, I'm going to intermingle something very quickly here, not wanting to get too far down here, but there's, a, there's another passage of Scripture in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 that something is very interesting to me. In verse, Let's go there for a moment. Ezekiel chapter 38. And I will, there's people that would disagree with this, but there's something that really sets out in the sense of that it never really has happened before. Can somebody tell me where my glasses are? What did I do with them? Oh, there we go. Very good. 
I used to never need those either. Ezekiel chapter 38. Now, this is talking about an invasion by Gog, which would be the leader, and Magog, which would be a picture of Russia. And I don't want to get too far into this, but it would be northern nations, potentially Arab nations and Russia, that will come against Israel, which I believe will be somewhere just before the middle portion of the last week. Because something happens in the middle of the last week, which we'll go back to Daniel to find out. What happens in the middle of the last week with the prince, small p, that comes from the Romans, halfway through the last week? He sets himself up as God, and he literally desolates the temple. He takes it over. He literally takes his peace treaty and kicks it to the curb. But in the first half of the last week, which would be the first three and a half years, there's a time frame here described for us in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that talk about how the Jews perceive themselves. Let's watch this. In verse 11 of chapter 38. Thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of... Now, this is speaking of Magog, which I believe is Russia. I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls. And having neither bars nor gates. Does that sound like Israel today? Are you kidding me? They've got bomb alerts and they've got sirens. Did you watch them during the, uh, uh, the Iraqi war? Oh my goodness. Would have you like to live there? I mean, they're constantly trying to barrage Israel because what? They're God's people. This picture right here, this verse describes for us a time in which the Jews feel immensely safe immensely safe. What is the peace treaty that begins the last seven is the one between Antichrist and the Jews. And I think he helps them build the temple. He makes them safe. So at ease, you can't believe it. And I think just before he takes it down, the Russians, along with Arab nations, have you seen alliances between Iran and Russia? That's been going on for a number of years now. That alliance and any part of that, you could have, you could have uh, Libya, all of those that kind of flock together, they, at this time of when Israel is kind of like laid back, just feeling really, really, what should I say, at rest, they will come from the north and just try to wipe them out. They'll try to take probably the port cities that they want. They want everything that they want, they're going to go and get. And guess what? God smokes them. Totally smokes them. I, I can't get into Ezekiel 38 and 30, but literally, no one defeats them except God. It's over before it starts. They hit the city and they're done. And I think shortly thereafter... Let's go back to Daniel chapter 9 now. This is what happens after that. Daniel chapter 9. <clears throat> and verse, uh, let's see, where do we want to pick it up? Verse 27. He, that's the prince, small p, the Antichrist, shall confirm, he's the one that puts it together, the covenant with many for one week, for a year. I'm sorry, for seven years. For seven years he makes his peace treaty. And they obviously have their temple back. They're engaged in sacrifice. In the midst, ah, what does that mean? Three and a half years in, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Desolate, even until the consummation. Now, in, until it's the very end. Now, think of that. As soon as that happens, guess how much the Israelis will be at peace? It's over. See, I think Ezekiel 38, 39 fits right there just before the mid part of the last week. Now, you say, wait a minute. In, in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about Gog and Magog. Yes, that's a different scenario. That has to do with what is at the end of another time frame, the end of the millennium. 
Now, the other thing is, is if you read in Ezekiel 38, 39, you may not want all of this information, but at the end of in Ezekiel 38, 39, it talks about taking seven months to bury the dead. That makes no sense at the end of the millennium. There's no cleanup necessary. God just, it's over. Okay. Gog and Magog in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 8, actually has to do with that battle that will be coming at the end of the millennium, the last battle of all time, literally. And that's when now, and you say, well, what a way to end the thing. It sounds like it's just desolate. No, no, no. Let's go back now to really where this chapter ends, verse 24. Let's watch. Let's go back. You're in Daniel chapter 9. Oh, are you there? I think so. Yep. Let's go to verse 24 now. What... What is, what, okay, stop. What has happened at the end of verse 27? We're at the end of, this is, this is easier than you think it is. It, we're at the end of the 70th week. Okay. Yeah. We're at the end, by the way, Les, that's right. You're at the end of the tribulation, which is the final seven year period, which has not begun. We don't know when it's going to be begun, but if the Jews have lived through 69, I'm pretty sure they're going to go through the 70th one. God's very faithful to complete what he starts. So when the tribulation ends, that's the end of the 70th week. It's not just the ending of the Antichrist. It's not the consummation of him being completed and literally cast into the lake of fire. He and the false prophet, his religious sidekick, they will be the first inhabitants of the true final hell. And then, let's go back to verse 24. This is what it's all about. This is God giving us... What happens after the 70 weeks? Verse 24. 70 weeks are determined. That word I have underlined in my Bible. Determined. God has set it apart. It's going to happen. Upon thy people, that would be the Jews, and upon thy holy city, Jerusalem, to watch. What? To finish the transgression, to finish sin, to make an end of all sins individually, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, which literally Jesus Christ accomplished, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Those six things at the end of the 70th week will be taken to fruition. It will be done. And everybody said, amen. Amen. And you say, man, that took a long time to say that. Why didn't you just say that? I don't know. I don't know. Think of what Daniel, what that, think of the load that Daniel was given there. Isn't that, that is so fantastic, isn't it? And what brought him to it was the fact he was praying that God would hurry up and bring the 70 years and let's just do it. And God says, boy, not only am I going to do that, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to take another 490 years based of 70, 70 weeks of years. And the final week, it's all going to come to complete fruition. And there's stuff that he didn't see that we're part of, that we're part of. If the Jews would have seen him on triumphal entry day, <laughs> I can guarantee you we wouldn't be here today, buddy. We wouldn't be here. But God's not done with them. Just like he, as he said to Peter, thou art the Christ, the living son of God. That truth would be the basis point for a church to begin, which has went on for over 2,000 years, of which if you accept Christ and his forgiveness, because God in grace gave that gift to you, then you're part of this parenthesis. And I say, praise God for that. I'm glad that they don't have the, seventh, the 70th week done yet. I'm so happy about that, but I'm ready to get this part of it over. But that seventh week, that will be a complete game changer for the Jews. If you were going to ask, I don't even know what the ratio is, but it's a very, 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 very small, maybe someone would know, a very small percentage of Jewish population that actually believes the Messiah has come, that the Messiah is Jesus Christ. It's an incredibly small remnant to believe that. 
But in the seventh, in the seventieth week, that last seven-year period, particularly from halfway through, now who are they trusting in the first half of the week? Antichrist. They're literally trusting this guy. Every peace treaty that they've ever signed, I guarantee you, most of those prime ministers, <laughs> yeah, sure, you betcha, <laughs> right? But they're going to be so at ease, so at rest. And then halfway through when he blows it up and he wants to destroy them, at the very end they will see him, Jesus Christ, for who he is. And he hits the Mount of Olives and they will be crying for their Savior. Fantastic. Is that not something else, huh? And it's still going. That's what I really find amazing. He got it in 530. How How many were here at 538 B.C.? None of us, right? By quite a bit. Thankfully, right? Thankfully. And we're still going. Now, the, the other good thing I want to say for you today, we're going to finish with one more verse, is a really cool thing because of the church that it's done and because Jesus Christ has paid the penalty. Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins if we trust him wholly and completely. You don't have to go through the 70th week. Amen. I think that's fantastic news because Revelation is a pretty scary book if you're in the 70th week. There ain't a lot of good things going on there, right? Now, God protects those. That he protects. And there's those that will be martyred, but they're right in the arms of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something. Because of what Jesus accomplished, you don't have to go through the 70th week. I say, amen. All right. I want to close with one thing. Because how should we act? What should we be living like? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. I might even look at a couple others. But 1 Corinthians, let's get there to chapter 50. This is truly the Christian's victory. And 1 Corinthians 15 talks about resurrection. It's unreal. I love it. Let's talk to uh, verse 57 and 58. It's really a thanksgiving and how we should be reacting today because of what Jesus Christ accomplished, the resurrection power. Verse 57 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of that, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving Daniel this vision, this prophecy that literally is still unfolding. And us being able to take other prophecies, particularly Revelation, Second Thessalonians, and others that hang on this structure, this formation of the 70 weeks of your chosen nation, Israel. Amazing to see how it was determined. It it will play out because you've determined it to be. 69 weeks have went by. The 70th week is upcoming. It will come at just the moment that you would determine it. Father, in these, what would seem to be the latter days of the church age, may we be just what Paul asked, that we would be steadfast and immovable and being abounding in the work of the Lord. For there's nothing there's no work in vain when we work for, the, for Jesus Christ. I pray for each one of these dear ones here today, Father, that you would encourage their hearts. Father, may it be at work, may it be at home, wherever it might be, Father, that you would just instill within them a real sweet, sweet relationship that can be yours, can be theirs because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. Thank you for taking care of the heavy lifting. Thank you, Father, for getting it all done. You chose us before... We even knew about you. 
Thank you for all of that was accomplished. Praise your name. Worship you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.